Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If there's one thing that Staten Islanders take seriously, it's their food. But challenges in the dining industry have led to what feels like a revolving door of restaurants, with many local establishments closing their doors for good in recent years, but dozens of new ones popping up to take their place. You know, you have to understand that 100 restaurants in three years is actually not that much. It seems like a lot, um, but we have 1,040-something restaurants right now on Staten Island. And then the, Wow, really? Yeah, there's 1,000 no licensed restaurants on Staten Island, but the, according to the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Now, in the grander scheme of things, with over a half a million people here, we don't have enough restaurants. Interesting. Considering that volume, uh, it's, it's a small number, but it's shocking when they go out of business. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance food editor, Pam Silvestri, to talk all things food and dining across the borough. Thanks for joining me today, Pam. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's been a long time since we've had you on the podcast. I think you were uh, actually pretty early on. We were during the pandemic. We were talking about all of the different impacts on the local restaurants. There was no indoor dining for a while. There wasn't even the outdoor dining. And so it was just takeout only. And it was it was really a mess uh, the first time that we had you on here. And so I'm sure that you and and all the local restaurateurs on the uh, on Staten Island are glad that things are pretty much back to normal now, right? Almost back to normal. Almost there, you know, a lot of struggles and still uh, supply chain issues. So, uh, you know, the cost of goods is very high right now. Gas prices are up. That affects the price not only for the restaurant owner to purchase, but also for the patron to come in and, and dine. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we've been seeing, I think, across all industries and sectors. And like even in my own work doing transportation and stuff, it's like, OK, we, the pandemic is is kind of calmed down a bit and the coronavirus rates aren't out of control like they were. People aren't wearing masks. People aren't afraid to go outside. But the lingering impacts of that pandemic and the way that they've affected, you know, mass transit ridership for things that, you know, I cover or, you know, gas prices, like you were saying, um, price of uh, resources and, and materials. And so pretty much everyone is still affected, even though the world feels a little more normal. It's it's really not what it once was. So it is interesting to see kind of the ripple effects and, and how that has kind of played out over the the past few years but at least we can go back and sit in a restaurant now and have dinner so at least i think that's a step in the right direction for a lot of people absolutely it's going to be a multifaceted podcast so we're going to talk some restaurant stuff we're going to talk some summer dining stuff we, we might even mix in some pizza because we know staten islanders how how passionate they are about their pizza there but i really wanted to start with the restaurant team because this is something that is impacting so many different people We've seen so many restaurants close in recent years. A lot of people's favorites, I'm sure, places that they've been going for years or even decades in some cases that are just no longer there, which is which is really sad. And at the same time, we have things popping up that are new that people like to go check out and, and you know, might find their new favorite spot. So I, I wanted to dig into all that. I know that you are really the perfect person for this because this is, you know, a full-time job for you, right? You are 
Staten Island food in, in some ways. And so I wanted to talk first about the closures. And I was curious, in your mind, what are some ones that, that stand out to you over the past couple of years? Maybe we can go back to like since the pandemic first started or, or whatever you think. But what are the big ones that we've kind of lost? Can you talk a little bit about those? Well, I think stunning was uh, Nuremberger Beer House. Um, that was one of the few German restaurants on Staten Island and one of the few left in New York City. Um, the fact that they, you know, suddenly uh, announced their closure was a huge deal. Uh, people came from all over for that final night, which was mm-hmm. an impressive thing to be at. But at the same time, it was a big loss on Castleton Avenue, which it was starting to become a food district uh, because one of the first uh, sit-down Haitian restaurants uh, popped up there at Del Mas 48 uh, over there in West Brighton. Um, you also have, uh, you know, clay and kiln, which does pottery, and you know, people can bring wine and cheese in on their own. Their sushi went over there. Uh, the old Dick's Deli mm-hmm. um, is now going to actually be farm to bagel. It's a, it's a, you know, farm to table concept that's coming up over there. So in the midst of that closure, you have such, you know, a vibrant restaurant scene going on around it, which is a, a shame that that went out in the middle of it. Um, also, I think uh, Juicy Lucy. Uh, barbecue place at 809 Father Capitano Boulevard. That was a huge loss. Uh, it was an award-winning barbecue concept that was down there by the beach. Uh, that was a very sad thing to see go. Uh, the owner, Richie Holmes, also closed uh, Juicy Lucia, a concept that was merging the pizza of Defara Pizzeria, which was a famous, is a famous place in Brooklyn uh, that was in Grand City. With that closure comes uh, the opening of Metropolis, which is a new restaurant concept by Richie, and that is a steakhouse, uh, which is doing fairly well. The first one you hit on was the one that I think really impacted me the most, which is Nuremberger. That is a place that I've been going uh, with friends and family for for years now. I had friends who used to work there when they were in, in high school or college, you know, summer jobs. They would be back in the beer garden in the yard working the grill or, you know, waiting tables or whatever it might be. And they had the restaurant on one side. They had the beer hall on the other side. They would have live music in there and all these great German beers that you really aren't finding on tap at most other places on Staten Island. The food was just incredible. I miss that potato leek soup. That was my go-to. And then they had like I don't remember what they called them exactly, but they were almost like German hot plates and they had the the potatoes and bacon and onions on the skillet with, you know, whatever sausage you wanted over the top. And I just that's something that you're you're really not finding in other places on Staten Island. And so that that was a really uh, unique and, and special place for me and, and my friends. And so I know that that one really hit hard. And then I also just wanted to mention Beer Garden, which is kind of right up the block from me. So that was our, our local spot for sort of a, a football Sunday, right? You go there, you get a couple beers, you get some wings and you just sit around and you can watch all day. They used to do specials or it's like, you know, $30, all you can drink for the one o'clock games or something like that. So it was really not only a, a restaurant, but also in some ways uh, like a big community there because it was just as much of a bar as it was a restaurant. And, you know, they had the same patrons and the bartenders knew who you were and they knew what you were going to order. And I, I think that those are some of the little things about restaurant closures that sometimes go unnoticed. It's like, okay, you can't go there because you, you to get a meal, but it's also you, you miss those people. You miss being around those people, being in that environment. I think that that is something that uh, a lot of people are experiencing for a bunch of different places. Places right now, but I know you had this article kind of looking at what are the biggest reasons why these restaurants are failing. I think you said in the article that we've lost more than a hundred restaurants in the past three years, which just feels like 
an astronomical number when you, when you really sit and think about it. So I'm curious, when you were working on that, when you were talking to different people in the industry, what was kind of your takeaway? What are the biggest things that are kind of driving these, these places out of business right now? Well, I think, you know, you have to understand that the stretch of time where there was no indoor dining really took a, a toll on the restaurant industry. It's unfortunate that the lawmakers weren't able to uh, change that. I would like to say that 100 restaurants in three years is actually not that much. It seems like a lot, um, but we have 1,040-something restaurants right now on Staten Island. And then the, Wow, really? Yeah, there's one thousand no over 1,000 licensed restaurants on Staten Island, but the, according to the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene. Now, in the grander scheme of things, with over a half a million people here, we don't have enough restaurants. Interesting. You know, so, um, and considering that volume, uh, it's it's a small number, but it's shocking when they go out of business. You know, I mean, um, for instance, uh, you know, just the, the loss of something like a Schaefer's Tavern, you know, uh, it goes on for so many years, you almost take it for granted it's in the neighborhood and then suddenly it's gone. Um, but that wasn't a result of COVID. Um, I think a significant loss actually during COVID was a, a small ice cream shop. It was a Baskin Robbins that had been established in the early 70s. And it was the last freestanding Baskin Robbins on Staten Island. Now they're merged with Dunkin' Donuts and their fast food concepts. Um, but the woman who owned this place, Susan Yuan, um, had run it for a couple of decades and um, people really relied on it, uh, you know, between all the schools in the area coming in for ice cream mm -hmm. um, and also uh, occasion cakes and things like that. People really used it as a resource and she was sort of a familiar face in the community in that respect. But that is a perfect example of a business that was really impacted by um, the school closures and at the same time, no celebrations, you Good know, point. and big gatherings. So, and on another note too, you have to look at um, the great things about new restaurants, the things that they're doing that these places that have failed um, haven't done. Okay, so when they fail, the biggest problem is that they put too much money into things like signage, you know, a big neon sign. Um, it, all their money went into things early on um, instead of, you know, saving money to carry payroll over time. A lot of the newer places, too, uh, focused on one particular concept. And as a result, when prices went wild on specific commodities like beef or chicken, those restaurants that focused on a very specific thing were impacted greatly and they really couldn't shuffle um, and lower the food cost. Also, the minimum wage went up. Um, this really hurt uh, restaurants quite a bit. It's very hard to carry payroll, payroll taxes and things like that. And then I think that the greatest problem uh, with restaurants failing why they fail is because they just don't have the knowledge of the food industry to begin with, and they really don't have any business in being in the food business. Mm -hmm. So um, it's like being a surgeon and you never really went to medical school, you know. Um, and the food business is a very complicated one. It's, um, you know, it relies on knowledge of, of health issues. You know, you can get people very ill if you don't know what you're doing. If you don't know how to properly handle food, you can cross-contaminate it or, you know, create a situation where, um, and I just wrote a story actually about the proper food handling of things in, in hot weather um, and like something simple as taking a soup in a big vat and cooling it down quickly um, in, in a big bucket of ice is very important because if you don't cool something down like that quickly, you can get a botulism condition where there are pockets of hot uh, liquid in there and that creates a situation where it's, uh, it puts food in the temperature danger zone and mm -hmm. uh, creates a lot of germs and bacteria. So you have to be very knowledgeable. And those people who aren't knowledgeable are very much weeded out quickly. 
So Yeah, absolutely. And there really are, like you mentioned, so many different contributing factors to this. Uh, I think that the pricing is a, is a big one. And you've noticed it even in the restaurants that have survived, you're seeing pretty significant increases in pricing there. And it's kind of, again, something that we're seeing across many industries and many sectors. And it comes down to the fact that they're like, hey, I mean, I'm paying more for this, so you need to pay more for this. I have to pass the 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 cost along in some way, otherwise I'm operating at a deficit. And so um, th- that's definitely something that has impacted people. And, and before we move on, I do want to just mention that that Baskin Robbins also a big loss for me personally. That is, th- you're talking about the one on Victory Boulevard, right, right over by uh, by John Pats and near Manor Road. That's also right near my house. And we, you know, throughout the years, that was a place that we would go for our birthday cakes, or me and my friends in the summer would go there and get a milkshake, and we would do things like that. Um, and so that was another one that we were definitely uh, very sad to see go. We'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to the Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. But so let's move on a little bit now to some of the the new restaurants that are opening. And can you tell me kind of some of the big places that have popped up recently that the Staten Islanders who who may not be cover uh, you know following your reporting uh, as much like they may not have heard of it yet. What are some places that you think that they should check out? Well, Staten Island is uh, blossoming in uh, various communities, uh, p- particularly the Palestinian community. Uh, the Asian community uh, is coming in full force, uh, especially around the supermarket HL, which is in Newdorp in the former um, Shalimar, uh, you know, and also, you know, the uh, Campitello's place. Um, we are seeing not only uh, an influx of different ethnicities coming in, but also the food is reflecting that. So there are places that I don't think that people would necessarily have on their radar or they don't, you know, they can't pronounce the name or whatever. And so mm-hmm. they wouldn't necessarily go in there. But these are great places. Um, I'm going to just point to Ayat, which is a Palestinian restaurant that's in Dongan Hills. Um, that place is extraordinary. And um, also um, there is a new restaurant, which is reflective of the pizza on Staten Island. And that's Pienza. And that's actually open at Commons 3, which is where the advance is located. Uh, Pienza is a really marvelous, necessary thing in the corporate park that mm-hmm. the coaches established on South Avenue um, because it adds another food option where you don't have to leave the community. Um, I think that is a significant restaurant on the horizon here. Also, Mellow Bistro, which is on Bay Street, which took the place of Bin 5, is extraordinary. Um, and the owner there, whose last name is Mellow, M-E-L-L-O, uh, is doing a fabulous job. Um, one other restaurant which really should get the attention of publications outside of the Staten Island Advance uh, is 286 South, which is the former conglomeration of Waterside Bar and Grill, which was over on Ellis Street. They've moved their operation over to 286 um, Richmond Valley Road, which is in Richmond Valley. Um, that place is just extraordinary. I can't say that the decor is is <laughs> grabbing, um, but it's, it's a lot of like an industrial gray chic. Um, but the food is is wonderful. And they have things that you really don't see on Staten Island, uh, various wild mushrooms or, uh, you know, a collection of different kinds of mushrooms, um, a pork chop that's uh, like the size of my 
my forearm. Um, <laughs> that's a tomahawk. Um, and then the, the chef there is doing great things. So, and they're doing a fine job there. And I think you you kind of hit the the nail on the head uh, early on there with the fact that we are seeing such an influx of different communities and different cultures and and different types of food popping up. And and just one that kind of comes to mind for me is that now we have over on Forest Avenue near Richmond Avenue the Korean barbecue and hot pot uh, location, which is something that I've always heard about and I've always wanted to try. But they were all either in Manhattan or in Brooklyn, or I you know I didn't really have the opportunity, or they're super expensive. You didn't take in the whole trip out there. You got to take the ferry. We know how the ferry runs these days. So I had never really gone to any of those before. And then when it opened up, me and, and some of my fellow coworkers actually went over there and tried the food. And it was just as incredible as I thought it was going to be. And I just uh, loved the whole concept and having the food cooked in front of you and having so many different options. You play, pay a flat rate and then you can just kind of whatever you want, they'll just bring over to you. And uh, that, that was something that was really cool. I'd never had the opportunity to try it before. And now we do. Uh, on Staten Island. And so I think that that's something that uh, that people should really look out for is just checking out the places where it's like, oh, I've never tried that before. Instead of thinking, oh, I've never tried that before, I probably wouldn't like it. Say, oh, I might really like that. I should go check it out. And and that's something that, you know, we have so many more opportunities for now on Staten Island than we did in the past. So we've talked a lot about the restaurant so far. I want to talk about some of kind of the food events going on on Staten Island. So I know just last month we had the food truck festival at Mount Loretta, which is usually a big hit. I, I didn't get the chance to make it out this year. I've gone in the past. I've covered it for the advance. I've also just gone there to eat food because why not? Right. And so uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about kind of how that went and, and if there's anything else kind of coming up that Staten Islanders should be on the lookout for. Um, well, food trucks, once you get them in one central place and you have a band or a set of bands and a bunch of Staten Islanders that reconnect over food, uh, you have yourself a great festival. And Anthony Rapichulo always organizes a great festival there at, at Mount Loretto. It's a, it's a great event. And they have it a couple of times a year, that one. And also in the fall, um, hopefully historic Richmond Town can get it together with uh, the food a little bit better at uh, the Richmond County Fair, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, around uh, Labor Day on Labor Day. They really have a lot of potential there. Um, maybe they can, you know, like blow it out a little bit more with the craft beer and things like that. There's also Pig Island, which is a barbecue event that happens at Snug Harbor. Fabulous. Um, the Polish Festival, which was just on Father's Day. Unbelievable. It's an event organized by St. Stanislaus Kaska, Roman Catholic Church, which is on uh, York Avenue in New Brighton. They do a phenomenal job with that. And they have all sorts of interesting things at the Polish Festival, which I find exciting um, they do a lot of the food um, in the basement of the church, but they also get their pierogi from one of the only uh, pierogi factories in New York City, which is on Staten Island, and that's in Mariner's Harbor. Oh, wow. Ellen B., which is uh, Luke and Bart. It's a husband and wife that uh, turn out thousands and thousands of hand-formed pierogi from their little place uh, down near Mesereau, uh Street in Mariner's Harbor. It's a great place. Uh, you can go in and get a buffet of food that is uh, from a hot table um, and, and tons of pierogi, including around this time of year, they have the, the the sweet ones, which are filled with strawberry or blueberry. And you can. Oh, wow. So I didn't even know that was an option. Oh, yeah. And you can serve it with a little dollop of uh, sour cream. Um, yeah, good stuff. But, um, you know, if uh, we had a really wonderful food festival that was organized by the district attorney's office, uh, Mike McMahon did a wonderful food festival, and I hope he does this annually. Um, it was an international food festival. It highlighted the Sri Lankan food on Staten Island, which is extraordinary. Um, we do have a handful of places, including a place called Lakrawana, which has captured the attention of other publications uh, 
who should be unnamed, uh, <laughs> come into our island and cover food. Uh, but Lackawanna has received uh, enormous acclaim. Um, they have an all-you-can-eat buffet uh, for about $15 a head on the weekend. So Saturday and Sunday, you can go and eat your heart out and try things that you've never had before, including mulakatani soup. But also in that mix of international food, uh, it highlighted uh, Pakistani food. There's a place called uh, Al Hamza, which is a restaurant that serves halal food and appeals to the Pakistani community, and that's in Concord on Tarji Street. And the other thing that it highlighted, you, you saw um, just from Sacred Heart and, and the uh, the pastor that was newly installed there, Father Ray, uh, he has a marvelous uh, understanding of the Filipino community being Filipino himself. And so he's um, brought about, uh, you know, a, a lot of awareness of Filipino food on Staten Island. Um, and one of my favorite places actually is, uh, I think, should be in the line more. Maybe Father Ray will join me there at uh, this place. But it's Philam Casina, uh, which is on Tompkins Avenue mm-hmm. in uh, Rosemack. Excellent restaurant. And they have something um, called a kamayan, which is a uh, thing where you eat with your hands and they roll out a banana leaf in the middle of the table and they, all the food is portioned out in the middle of the table and you get, you know, six or eight of your best friends and you sit and you eat with your hands. It's a great exercise to do, especially after COVID. So again, Food festivals highlight the diversity of the borough, um, the exquisiteness of the food here. A lot of the stuff is, you know, like homemade food um, that you you can go around Staten Island um, and eat everything around the world and never leave the borough. It's really incredible. Um, and then you could start actually with uh, a couple of different places. And I've done this actually on a Facebook Live where I went around the island and mm-hmm. went to different restaurants. Um, you could go to Yemen Cafe, which is a Yemeni restaurant that's in Dongan Hills. Uh, I believe it's 1819 Highland Boulevard. It's right across from a health food restaurant called Taste Buds. And um, that place is fabulous. They make a slow-cooked lamb dish that is absolutely tender, falling off the bone, excellent lamb chank, uh, lots of, you know, great rice. And the there's a woman there that's an expert in making bread uh, that it's like a giant pita. Absolutely excellent. One of them is studded with uh, sesame seeds, fabulous. Um, and then, you know, you can make your way over to... Uh, kind of the Middle East. Uh, there's a great place called Lebanese Eatery in um, Port Richmond. It's right next to a place called uh, Basil Cucina, mm-hmm. which is uh, like kind of a salad place. And then also we have great, uh, vibrant Mexican food on Staten Island. Um, you don't just have to go down to Port Richmond Avenue. You can just kind of walk around and rest and There's some great places. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a place called uh, Jaquilta, which only on Staten Island can you have a laundromat, a deli, um, and a grocery store all in one. Oh, wow. Uh, and it's got great you know, tacos and uh, slow you know, rotisserie chicken. That's uh, on Broadway in West Brighton uh, near Cary Avenue. And then also Oaxaca Deli, highlight the food of uh, Oaxaca in Mexico. and also has a uh, Mexican pizza, which entails getting pizza and putting, you know, Mexican ingredients on there, like chipotle and avocado and things like that. And then um, I just, uh, just want to highlight one other really good uh, Mexican place. It's called uh, Azul, uh, excuse me, uh, Blue Azul. It's a Taco place in in Great Kills, and forgive me, but it's on the tip of my tongue. And oh, La La Guana, La Guana Azul. There yes, you go. I've See, here's so good at your restaurant. <laughs> you know the better. So yeah, that place is great. Yeah, no, and I hope our listeners are taking notes right now because you have just given me personally so many different places to check out that uh, I cannot wait to really make my way around the borough. And so we've talked a lot about restaurants. We've talked about some of the food events. I figured since we have you on right in the middle of summer, we could also talk about some kind of summer food topics, oh. you know, whether it's things like... Outdoor going, dining. We've got outdoor dining, which is an incredible thing. We've got people doing their summer barbecues, right? We just had the 4th of July recently, but I'm, you know, we'll still 
still have Labor Day. People grill every weekend over the summer, or at least I do. So uh, I was wondering if you had any tips for Staten Islanders to kind of spice up their barbecues, right? You know, everybody has the usual, you put some burgers, some hot dogs, maybe some chicken on the grill. But like, what are some things, you know, as a food expert that people might not think of that you could add to your to your barbecue to really impress your guests next time around? Well, I think you could take advantage of uh, some of the newer restaurants and some of the kind of uh, more unusual ones on the island to supplement your, your burgers and dogs. Um, and I'm thinking just off the top of my head is Zara, uh, which is a new restaurant. It's a Turkish restaurant that is in, uh, it's where the old Perkins was. Yes. In a forest. Excellent restaurant. And they, um, you know, you can get kebabs and things like that and have them cook it or get them raw and, and throw them on the grill. Um, the owner of that restaurant actually has a Turkish market that opened up in Dongan Hills, which is a fine place. And, you know, like Buyer's Market, uh, I love buyers. In Willowbrook is just such that's a, my go-to. Is, it's such a great store. You know, they have a very nice deli department. They make all their salads from scratch. They do hundreds and hundreds of pounds of coleslaw and macaroni salad. With Be- best potato salad on the island, in Absolutely. my opinion. I, I don't like to use best. I'll say my favorite potato salad on the island. Anytime I'm going to a friend's barbecue, I'm like, don't worry, I'll bring the salads because I will not eat any other ones that they have. So shout out to buyers. I've been going there my whole life. Yeah. yeah since it switched over, it used to be a Miggy's, right? Yes. Yeah. But sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just had to give the buyer a shout out. They are incredible. I, I love your enthusiasm. So that's great. Yeah, buyers does a great job. Um, and also, you know, Staten Island has some wonderful bakeries. So I would suggest mm-hmm. very strongly, um, you know, to go all carved out and go to some of the really great bakeries on the island. Um, one of which uh, is very new. It's coffee and collectibles. And it's the owners of Cake Chef. They do the pastries and things like that. Not so much bread. But then there's a, a La Dolce, which is um, out in Pleasant Plains. They do a marvelous job with bread. Um, and, you know, instead of putting your burgers and dogs uh, or your, you know, whatever chops and things like that, you could instead of just serving it with like a Martin's potato roll, you can always dress it up with great Italian bread or ciabatta mm-hmm. or uh, fennel raisin bread, um, that kind of thing, which you can get uh, readily at, you know, like I said, La Dolce or bagels. I mean, I hate to, you know, think of throwing bagels on the grill, but Heartland Bagels, believe it or not, they have such great like sweets mark's bake shop also mm-hmm. does a fine job the mark's bake shop is interesting because if you remember the old andrew and ellen's bakery mark's bake shop does those recipes so they're very familiar really? yeah german based recipes that's a great bake shop yeah absolutely and so the other thing about summer that we see all the time is that people are traveling more than they would in other times of the year right so they're going on trips Uh, to places that they may have never visited before. So as a food, as a restaurant expert that you are, when you're away from home, what is something that you look for when you are deciding which restaurant to eat at, right? Because there have been so many instances for me, at least, where I'll go somewhere and it's like, okay, well, where should we go for dinner tonight? And you look up, like, what are the best restaurants in whatever town you're visiting? And there's a list of 30 things. Like, what what do you recommend people kind of look for? What stands out to you when you're away and you're trying to pick where you want to eat? Well, that's interesting because um, I eat out so much that when I go away, I find it a great joy to just stay in the kitchen and play Iron Chef. With, oh, interesting. That's in the uh, cabinet and whatever's at a farm stand nearby. Yeah. Um, and also to supplement anything with like a local ice cream parlor. So mm. um, just recently I went to Seaside Park in New Jersey um, and uh, I was surprised. My children gravitated to a restaurant that really could have been a Staten Island restaurant. But one night that we ate out, we ate at a restaurant called Ebby's, 
which was like being in Eltingville, you know, um, but they loved it. And uh, but right across the street is a place called Bum Rogers, which I know is very popular with Staten Islanders. It's all seafood. And, you know, when you're at the shore, you know, you've got to think seafood and, yep. you know, whatever's going on in the ocean is the thing that you want on your plate. So. No, that's a good point. I, me and my family go up to Maine all the time. We're going up later this summer, actually. And every, my mom, every meal is lobster. If she can find a way to eat lobster for every meal, she will do it while we're up there. So I think that's a good uh, a good thing for a lot of people is to just look for the, the regional food, right? The regional specialty uh, where you are. But, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you like to make food uh, yourself while you're on vacation. So for someone who is away and they're at their vacation rental or their Airbnb, what are some kind of tips for them? If you're cooking away from the house, obviously you don't have everything you would usually have at your home kitchen. So what are some tips for people who are cooking uh, away from home? Uh, That's an interesting question. Um, I would suggest, um, first of all, having your groceries uh, delivered to the place that you're going, if you can do it, like call mm. Instacart or Costco.com or something like that and try to get as much possible in the location, your Bisquick or your larger items, paper towels, things like that. And then, uh, you know, supplementing with local farm stands is always great. You, know, mm-hmm. you can pick things up here and there, but you don't want to be going to the supermarket every night. So, to, exactly. you know, to stock a pantry with some really basic things. Um, I did do a story on this recently and somebody brought up a really great point. It was a woman named Jody Hall who owns an interior decorating place called Gables Interiors on New Dorp Lane. She had mentioned sticking like with breakfast items, like you just get eggs, you know, butter, sliced bread, cheese, things like that. Mm-hmm. And if you start with the basic of breakfast, you can build out any meal. And she's right. You can do quiches, you can do casseroles, you can make breakfast, you know, with bacon and things like that. So that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Maybe I'll take some of those tips because I'm, I'm I'm going uh, away this weekend too, just up to a lake house with some friends. And so, you, you know, especially if you're going to like a lake house or something, we're we're in the middle of nowhere, so we're not really going out to the to the local restaurants. We're going to be cooking in the house. So uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll give some of those suggestions to them. Um, so you, you, I think you mentioned this one earlier, um, but this was a recent article you did that kind of interested me, and also kind of the, the fact that we're in summer. Just what it's like working in a kitchen during the summer and the, the heat. Obviously, um, we've been seeing the heat has been worse than it has in years, really, here. I mean, I think today it's supposed to be 95 degrees as we're recording this. Uh, and so I know personally when I was in college and I was home for the summers, I used to work in a pizzeria around the corner from me. And standing next to that oven every time you opened it was just absolutely brutal. Like I felt like I was getting uh, burned like at the beach, essentially. And so I imagine that for a lot of people in the restaurant industry that this is something that they struggle with around this time of year. So if you could just tell us a little bit uh, about like what it's like having to work in a kitchen during the summer and what those people try and do to, to stay cool. Yeah, well, you know, it's a great question, and I'm going to preface this by saying that if you don't have any pain, you won't appreciate being pain-free eventually. (laughs) Um, So it's a great topic to write about for me because I spent a lot of uncomfortable times in my restaurant uh, in American Grill when it was on Forest Avenue. Our chef could not tolerate the heat, and he used to go down like a red oak. Uh, (sighs) When the temperature went over 100, uh, he would be like completely passed out, and I'd have one of the guys in the kitchen named Cirillo would you know be the one to kind of fetch me in the front of the restaurant and be like, Patrona, Patrona, you know, blah, 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 the chef is on the floor, you know, it's just oh be like, gosh. oh my gosh. So anyway, we'd go back and we'd have to fortify him with all sorts of Gatorade and whatever else before that. We learned very quickly that we had to do that. But working in the restaurant and writing about the restaurant industry in the heat, um, for instance, today, I was at Kilmeyer's Old Bavaria and we were in the beer garden and it was impossibly hot and the food was melting in front of me and oh. you just 
try not to think about it. And, but um, anyway, but it's it's all good in the end because, you know, um, I do remember the most uncomfortable time ever in my industry days uh, was working in the Hillside Swim Club snack bar, which we did for two years. Um, oh, my gosh. So the place is painted a dark color, which attracts even more heat. Of course. And um, I remember working the grill and putting clams and, you know, wine and garlic in these little sealed containers and uh, it was dreadfully hot and it was a heat wave. And so they were like, hey, the pool's going to be open for another two hours. I was like, oh, great. Gosh, no more. Anyway, but it was 10 o'clock at night and this staff time, we weren't, the help wasn't allowed to use the pool. But the pool manager, I said to him, look, at the end, do you think I could just go in the pool? Yeah. He's like, sure. So I just literally walked off the dining board with my clothes on and I just went and I sat at the bottom of the pool and it just was really, it felt good. So. Yeah, no, I can only imagine, especially in like a, a concession stand like that. Oh, it, that sounds brutal. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to, before we go, you had an article recently about uh, this list of the best pizzerias in the United States. And I saw that there were a couple of New York City pizzerias referenced in there, but none of them on Staten Island, which I know will upset a lot of people probably listening to this. Um, pizza is something that, you know, is very near and dear to our hearts here. Uh, and I debate all the time with fellow coworkers about what is the best pizza on Staten Island or what's your top three or what's your top five. So given your expertise in the field, I wanted to ask you before we go, uh, just for a list kind of of some of your favorite pizza places on Staten Island. That's a horrifying question, and, and there's no... I know. Don't make anyone mad. Right answer to that one. Um, but I will say, um, over the years, I, especially when uh, Steve LaCastri was making the pizza and the dough, I particularly enjoyed dough by LaCastri, mm-hmm. uh, which has two locations. One's in Eltingville, the other one's from a small shack in Dongan Hills. I do love there. Hotter than July, ironically, uh, pie, which is really excellent. And that, that dough can never be the same as when Steve was doing it, but still it's excellent. I do enjoy round pie. Me too. Um, so good. They have uh, like a proprietary thing that they do, which I believe is like panko breadcrumb. On that, the crust underneath, yes. right? It's like little ball bearings. That I've been like, trying to figure out what that is. Someone said like cornmeal, yes. maybe panko, something yes. like that. But it gives it a crunch that is just unlike any other pizza that I've really had. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely up there for me as well. We always say that, that it's funny because they are relatively new, but they have like skyrocketed up my rank. of of pizzerias on Staten Island and they have so many good specialty slices too I know a lot of people are like I want a traditional pizza slice but every now and then I will do a buffalo chicken slice I'll do a vodka slice they have a great barbecue slice they have uh, you know salad slices things like that Um, so that is definitely a good one that has surprised me recently and is right around the corner so I probably eat it more than I should you know I'm not going to throw shade on restaurants um, um, outside of Staten Island and I'm not going to elevate the pizzerias that were on the list from outside the borough. But I will say um, one of the places that really does stand out and could make the borough particularly proud and be on those lists of really top pies is on New Door Plain. And and I'm just going to throw it out there. Do you know the name of the restaurant? I do not. This one's... Um, Giove? Oh, Giove. I, I have not been... Wait, no, we went there for an advance event yes. once, right? Yes. That like a couple of years ago, that was fabulous. really good. Yeah. No, it's been a while. I'm not really on that part of the island too often, so I haven't had the chance. But I do remember we went there. This was a while ago at this point, pre-pandemic for sure, uh, maybe 2019 or, or early 2020. But that is a good one. They they make a beautiful pie with uh, speck, you know, which is like a form of uh, cured, you know, prosciutto ham. 
Um, you got to come out there more with me with these Facebook lives because I, I, I'd like to introduce you to a couple of really great pizzerias. And um, But again, I don't know if we could ever be in the top 10 pizzerias because Staten Islanders are used to the same old, like if you change a recipe at Danino, yeah. if you don't use sausage crumbles at you know, in your favorite parlor, Lee's pie, you know. Yeah. If they change it. you If that clam pie changes, I think that people will riot, truly. Yes. There will be protests outside of Lee's if they ever change that clam pie because that is a, a staple for so many people. Absolutely. Absolutely. So consistency is the thing that keeps us from getting in the top rankings of pizza. Interesting. And that's something I hadn't really considered. But regardless of where... We rank on those lists. I know where Staten Island Pizza ranks in my heart, and that's what really matters. So thank you so much for joining me today, Pam. This was a blast. I would love to have you back on again soon to talk more food. Thank you. And now I'm officially hungry. Yes, me too. Well, it's lunchtime, so that's great. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.